Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for episode 15 of What's Up Winona, the only podcast that keeps you on the up and up on what's going down in the island city. <laughs> Today is Friday, December 7th, and my name is Tesla Mitchell, future reporter for the Daily News, and today I am going to be chatting about Burke's Music House, which may not be a place that too many people are familiar with, but it's in the same location as Burke's Furniture, which has been in Winona for a really, really, really long time. They've got a really cool story, so we're going to talk about that. And with me today is... Uh, I'm Maddie. Uh, Maddie Heim, the education reporter, and I am going to be talking about uh, the lawsuit that the Winona Public School District just decided to file against Save Our Schools. And I'm Tobias Mann, crime and government reporter, and I've got a spot of news on some dairy farm trouble. All right, Maddie, I know you got to take off here pretty soon. So how about you start us off? Tell us about this lawsuit. Yeah, so um, this is just kind of the next chapter in this uh, debacle that uh, the Winona Public School District is dealing with. Um, So just to kind of catch everyone up, if you haven't been reading about it already, um, way back now in June, Um, the school district voted to close, or actually they closed um, Madison Elementary School and Rolling Stone Elementary School. Um, And before that, in May, um, this uh, citizen group uh, called Save Our Schools um, filed an appeal with the Minnesota Court of Appeals to to challenge that closing um, by the school district because they wanted to see the schools opened. Um, and kept open as schools. And so that has been kind of drawing out. Um, But what came out recently uh, is this um, issue of Liz Pendants, which is apparently one way to pronounce it. The other one is Liz Pendants. Um, So if you're fancy, you can pronounce it that way. But um, so anyway, what... So (laughs) fancy. (laughs) Um, So what Liz Pendants is, is basically, um, it's a notice of pending litigation. So... When Save it's Our not Sch- someone's name. It's not. It's okay. not someone named Liz. Yeah, no. Okay. Um, so when Save Our Schools um, filed their uh, appeal with the Court of Appeals, they also attached this Liz pendants to both of the titles of the of the buildings. Um, so it was basically just letting anyone know who was interested in the buildings that. You know, just so you know, there's still a court case open on these and something could change. Um, and so when the school district realized that that Liz Pendants was on there, they contacted Save Our Schools, their lawyer did, contacted Save Our Schools and said, hey, can you remove this? This is going to cause us problems. And Save Our Schools said no. So last night, um, they had a closed session to try and determine whether they wanted to pursue legal action to try to get this list pendants removed. Um, and I think to the surprise of many people, uh, they decided to do it. Um, and they're going to be suing um, Save Our Schools over something called slander of title. Um, and basically what slander of title means is, you know, Save Our Schools didn't have the right to put on the Liz pendants. And the Liz pendants is, uh, let me see here it is it falsely disparages the titles to the building so what they're saying is it's it's called a cloud on the title meaning that it's preventing any you know it's 
it's causing problems for... It's raining on their parade. Exactly. It's raining <laughs> on their parade. And so what's interesting is that... So Rolling Stone was sold back in September, and Madison is about to be sold, um, it will likely be sold this week. Um, and so which means in about a week, it's very possible that both of these buildings are going to be completely off the district's hands. Right. But they're still going to go ahead with this lawsuit because... Um, Basically, what they told me last night is it's, you know, they, their names are on the title. It's their duty to give the buyers this clean title. Um, and so, um, Superintendent Dahman told me last night that both of the buyers were kind of concerned about um, the Liz Pendant's notice, but especially Andrew Brenner, who bought Madison. Um, and he was concerned about it because um, having that on there, um, can affect um, future developments to the property. So if you want to take out a loan from the bank to start on construction, the bank might see that and be like, no, right. there's, you know, this could all change. We're not going to, that's too risky. So he's saying, he basically asked the district to do whatever they could do to get it removed. Yeah. So now they're going to take it to court. So has money already been exchanged for these buildings? It already has for Rolling Stone, it sounds like. Yeah, it already has for Rolling Stone, and uh, the sale is likely going to be closed on Madison this week. Wow. So, yeah. And so remind us what the lawsuit was arguing, the original lawsuit by Save Our School. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that Court of Appeals appeal is saying that the district moved too fast when they were deciding to close the schools and they did it too hastily and they didn't follow basically all these kind of public procedures that you had to go through and they didn't really accept the public's comments even though they kind of checked they're they're basically saying you know the district checked all these boxes to say that they were getting public input but they didn't really listen to it um and so that's the original appeal and um, those oral arguments are coming up now in January. And um, I talked to one of the lawyers for the school district, and he's super, super confident that um, the district is going to prevail in that case. But what's interesting is this Liz Pendence one, you know, right at the outset of it, and I've only spent now like 24 hours or a little bit more looking at it, but it doesn't seem as obvious who's going to win. Huh. Um, because, so there are four, so, so the, the thing that they're suing about is slander of title, and there are four elements of that in Minnesota. So the first one is there was a false statement concerning the property. The false statement was published. The false statement was published maliciously, and it also caused the plaintiff um, loss in the form of special damages. So kind of my question going forward is, what is the false statement that the district is going to say that came out because so that's what the school district would be saying that saver schools right. did was that they right gave a false statement yeah with malicious intent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting yeah but it's really interesting because the liz pendants notice to at least to my understanding is not false like it it's just saying that there is pending litigation and there is because that's that original court case right so my next question when i can get a hold of the district's attorney is just you know what's the false statement because that's the first thing that has to be proven and then these other four things have to be proven and you know that'll take 
time on that too, but I'm just kind of interested in what the, the false statement is. So it sounds like this is all built around this original case, and because it hasn't been resolved, it's become an, another issue entirely, probably one that Save Our Schools is probably perfectly happy with uh, because it disenfranchises or discourages, not disenfranchises, but discourages developers who are in the process of purchasing the buildings from doing anything until they're kind of followed through to their natural end. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it has gotten really complicated, and so now there's this whole separate lawsuit that's going to come out of it, and, um, you know, it's funny because Rolling Stone has already changed hands again, so it's already, from the original buyer, it went back to the city of Rolling Stone, so I'm not sure how much the city of Rolling Stone cares about the Liz Pendants, but I know for sure that Andrew Brenner was the one who's saying this is holding, this is going to hold me up at some point. Right. I'm not going to be able to go through with my plans. Mm-hmm. Right. So please get it taken off. And is there any timeline for this first suit to fall, you know? So not really. So the, um, so the oral arguments for the, for the original court of appeals, um, appeal are happening in January. And then I believe the court has 90 days after that to make a decision on that. But I haven't heard of any timeline um, for this one except that the um, the district's council is going to file the suit as soon as possible, and then it's going to go into district court. Wow, this is murky. Yeah. I feel like I need, like, a whiteboard or one of those pin boards where I can, like, put these little statements and, like, pin it to the thing and have little... Twines. Yeah, it's just twines. A web going. Of... I feel. <laughs> I feel sorry for you having to try to like work through all this and keep it all straight and factual and mm-hmm. report it well. Yeah. <laughs> ah, what a what a topic. What a topic. So Tesla, I hear you have a lyrical tale to tell us. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited. This is actually a story that I've been wanting to do for a while, but um, it wasn't really ready to come out. Um, so, um, Sean Burke. Um, He's he's been in town for a long time, and his family's been in town for a long time. And so the Burke family has owned the building that's on the corner of Franklin and 3rd Street. It's Burke's Furniture. They've owned that building since 1939. And actually, they had rented that same building for about a year, a couple of years previously, or actually many years previously. Um, but so basically, um, the Burke family originally started as like a... Um, funeral, um, they were making caskets and selling caskets and stuff. Um, and then they started kind of switching over to furniture. And then um, they were selling furniture for a really long time. And then the Sean, Sean's great-grandfather, who is the person who was doing all of this, was also into music and decided, okay, well, I've got this furniture store, but I actually want to do these, like, listening concerts. And so he would invite people in to the furniture store and they would just like sit and listen to what's it called? The latest 78 record, which I have no idea what that is. I'm just thinking it's a record. (laughs) But um, so they would have these listening sessions and then um, and so, yeah, and then that kind of kind of got lost into history. Well, Sean, um, within the last few years, found out about these listening sessions and he's also a musician, and he's also selling furniture in the same buildings, under the same name and stuff, but the furniture market has started to change. 
And so um, he's had this furniture store for a really long time. It's sold to like hundreds of Winona families. You know, he's just, it's one of those pillars of like, you always know that store is there. Um, but in the last however many years, people have started buying furniture online more to where now he's just doing custom made stuff. And so with that all changing, and then with him also being a musician and him finding out that his own family did this circle of furniture and then to music, he's decided to now do that same exact loop. And so now he has opened Burke's Music House, um, and and it's really cool. So it's it's a still a furniture store, and he's got all this furniture that you know isn't selling that hot because it's you know everybody wants their own custom stuff done, and they're buying online. So he's got all this furniture, and so he's like, all right, well let's use this. And so he put his stage in there, and he's got all the furniture like pointed towards the stage. And um, the goal and the point and what they've already started doing is like hosting either musical acts in there, like a duo or um, a solo artist or musician. But um, this weekend they're hosting the Christmas radio show. So, um, which, yeah, the Christmas radio show is really cool. It's a performance that you can also listen to online or on their radio. Um, That's a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, this is really cool. Um, I got to go in there and see kind of the space and it's, it's got some really good acoustics and all the furniture is really nice and comfy and, um, it's just got this really cool, rich history of going full circle and coming all the way back again. And he had started thinking of all of this prior to realizing that his own family had done that exact circle as well. And then once he found out, like, oh, my great-grandfather was a musician, and he also had this idea. Let's do that. That just, like, solidified that. It's a whole family tradition right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just find it amazing that there's the family business, which now has a family tradition that has been passed down, even though not everybody knew about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's so interesting to me. So when is the 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 broadcast the radio, the Christmas broadcast? Yeah, so the Christmas radio show is um, this weekend. It's Friday, um, so it starts today. Goes um, Saturday and Sunday. So tonight and tomorrow, it's at seven thirty, I believe, and then on Sunday, it's at two p.m. Um, and so that's really cool. So you can go in there and you can um, sit down and watch the Christmas radio show performance. Um, it's like a play, but. Um, it's meant to be the nostalgic kind of um, feeling that people used to have because people back in the day would um, gather around the radios and listen to plays over the radio. So this Christmas radio show, even though you're watching it, it's not meant to have like costumes and mm-hmm. um, have all this theatrical display. It's meant to be sound. It's meant to be all focusing on sound. I used to love radio shows growing up. Uh, we would go up to our cabin uh, north of Duluth, and we didn't have a television. Uh, you know, there was a boombox in the corner. There were maybe a couple cassettes that I had no interest in listening to. But my dad would put on uh, Wisconsin Public Radio's, um, uh, the the close university there, I can't think of it now, would put on these radio shows. Yeah. And they'd be these recreations of these old-time radio shows that my parents all talked about. <laughs> and so they have a special place in my heart. Yeah, it's really cool. And I actually got to perform in the Christmas radio show when I was um, 
I was like seven months pregnant with our first child. And yeah, it was really cool. Um, myself and actually one of the, um, at the time, Daily News um, advertising um, people, um, Dave, it was he and I that were doing the sound effects okay. um, for the Christmas radio show, which is so fun. Okay, so they have this table that's got all these different random items, right? And our job was to like make sounds make sound effects and so I remember um Dave and I would have to work as a team and try to figure out like okay this scene is coming you have to do this and I have to do this and like at one point I remember there was like a boat and um you know everybody was walking to the boat and then the boat would sail and so um one of us had shoes that we would like clomp 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 on the desk to make the like shoe sounds and then um we were trying to figure out how to do the waves and so like I had some water and I just kind of like splashed around in the water <laughs> yeah and it was just it was so fun and it was so odd some of the things that we would use to create sounds um and so and what was really interesting normally sound effects people or like th that would be like off to the side on a stage Whereas when I was doing it, and as well as this weekend, the sound effects is like center stage. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so you get to like watch them make it. You get to watch this creation of this, of this um, you know, sound performance. Um, and it was really cool talking to the director for that, because he said, you know, I've directed a few things before, but I didn't exactly... He, he said, I thought this would be easier. Because <laughs> he's like, without the costumes, without all that stuff, like, I thought it would be, kind of be a little bit easier. But it was not. So it's, yeah, a really cool story between the Christmas, the Christmas radio show and the, and the Burke's um, music house. Um, I really hope they, they do well. I know they're trying to, like, do more of, like, a small intimate space mm -hmm. rather than, you know, have large bands or anything. They kind of want it to be, like, an early night come and you know sit on some comfy sofas and you know living room sets and with lots of end tables everywhere and sip on this or that and listen to music um you know which we don't really have something like that i mean we've got like acoustic cafe and places where you yeah, can listen. you got acoustic and eds does get some tamer bands in there on a fairly right. regular basis but um you know all the lounge spaces away from the the stage right so yeah yeah so it sounds like a great uh great opportunity for people looking for something new in Winona yeah. yeah yeah best of luck to them so Tobias I have been watching these past couple days as you have been reading through hundreds of comments for people who are either really upset or in favor of this daily farms expansion so please enlighten us on what's going on there all right so uh, the big story is the MPCA has postponed, that's the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, and they're the, the agency that's kind of going to be the deciding factor on whether or not uh, Daly Farms in Lewiston, the largest uh, uh, dairy farm in this part of the state, um, is going to be able to move forward with a massive feedlot expansion. And uh, this week I got all 618 comments that were uh, submitted. <laughs> Uh, and it was a really interesting, it was really interesting to go through them. You know, I was expecting that we were going to get a lot of comments, mostly from Winona County, and I could just kind of 
spin the wheel of comments and just put my finger down and look at what they had to say and, and you know do that a few times and get an idea of you know how people felt about the issue and then I started reading them and thankfully I only had to read uh, about half of that you know I could read all about half of those comments with one letter because about half of them were copy and pasted form letters uh-huh. maybe a few points added on um you know at the top or the bottom but really nothing substantial so about like half of those comments were just copied and pasted you know press releases or um, an article they'd found online as to why they didn't and almost all of those i really all of those form letters were against this expansion um and and you know I can understand where people are coming from. This region has some environmental challenges when it comes to uh, water pollution and dairy farms and other feedlots are, uh, can be sources of pollution if they're not managed properly. And that's why the MPCA is involved in this. Um, so I just got through all of the comments, including all of the digitally submitted comments um, a little earlier this morning and roughly uh, roughly 25% of the comments came from Winona County. Where'd the other 75 come from? Outside of Winona County. Right. <laughs> you know, there was maybe five, 6% that were out of state comments. Wow. Um, about 25% came from the Twin Cities metro area. Huh. Um, and there were a lot from kind of Rochester, uh, but all over the place. Like I had to filter them into folders and, um, you know, if they weren't in the metro area, I just put them in a folder that said in-state and then I sorted them by right. whether they were a form letter or not. But only, only about 140, 150 comments were made by people living in Winona County or right on the border with Winona County. Wow. So it was... Uh, That's really interesting. Yeah. And, but getting there was a challenge. I bet. Oh, yeah. Um, this is also like the first year that the MPCA has allowed people to comment online. Uh-huh. Normally it's been something where you had to email or uh, submit um, written right. letters. <laughs> Never mind that. Um, we're going to mute that call if I can. Nope. <laughs> Our tech support's trying to interrupt the podcast, and I apologize, everyone. So sorry about that, everyone. Uh, as I was saying, um, this is the first year that the MPCA has taken comments online and given people the option to do that, um, which um, they should just make that exclusively how people should be able to make comments because it is so much easier to scroll through an Excel file and figure <laughs> out. Oh, it is harder to spot form letters. Um, so it probably would have made that part of it um, a little harder, but it seemed like it it did kind of discourage, uh, or it seemed to discourage people from doing form letters and the online comments. There were uh. there were still a good number of them, but nowhere near you know that that part of it made up only a small uh, component of the the form letters that mm-hmm. I that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's and it was actually. Um, where most of the support for the daily farm expansion was found, you know, I was was in in those online comments. Um, I didn't see a ton of support, uh, any, in any part of Minnesota 
from the regularly submitted email and printed letter comments. But in the, in the online space, they saw a huge number, uh, or substantially more anyway, of support crop up there. Hmm. So, go ahead. <laughs> so, in the comments that you said were from Winona County, that how, was my question, how yeah. was that split between um, people who supported it and people who didn't want it? So, uh, just rough numbers, uh, it was, I would say it was approximately 30% of the comments were in favor of the expansion supporting um, that dairy's uh, growth in Lewiston, and the other two-thirds were against. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, So, it it was still a lot of... um, Still a lot of opposition, though, mind you, that those percentages do include those form letters, too. So, right. um, how, how much those people actually dug down into it beyond the letter that they may have been forwarded or... Um, the statement that they were given to... The statement they were given, um, you know, it's not clear. Um, the, the Daily Farms has uh, something of a mixed reputation there. They have some non-compliances, but uh, I think people forget that um, those non-compliances crop up as things wear down, Mm -hmm. the regulations get stricter, um, and rules change. These permits are, you know, have general guidelines that say how they're going to have to manage their farms, but over time, those, those standards do evolve, and they have to, have to adjust to those things. And with us kind of talking about these comments, and especially with the, um, with the form um, the kind of copy and paste letters being included in that and us talking about that I think it might be worth mentioning that there's an organization that's really highly involved in the opposition and I mean that organization has a very far reach and has been around for a long time and has grown a real support group that they have really learned how to um, get moving when it comes to something that they want an action on. Yeah the Land Stewardship Project is um, heavily involved in the opposition movement um, as far as this feedlot goes. Um, and they do have a very wide-reaching, um, you know, connect, you know, very wide-reaching connections with network. people. Yeah, a huge network of people. And I think that was... Um, but the same can be tr- said of the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the dairy industry uh, and a number of other ag groups came together and attempted to block the extension of the public comment period. Hmm. Um, and you also saw it at the, the meeting, the public informational meeting the MPCA hosted in Lewiston in uh, late Oct- or mid-October, um, where there was just a sea of blue I support all dairy shirts. Hmm. Um, so both sides are heavily motivated to protect their interests. Right. Um, but the MPCA's uh, kind of purview of this um, really has to do with assessing and managing risk. And if the, they can assess the risk and determine that the farm is um, likely to take the necessary steps to prevent uh, environmental disasters or you know contamination of uh, water, which is a major concern in that region, um, generally speaking, they're going to approve the permit. If there are questions as to how they can manage those things and what their the, 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 the conventional ways of managing them, um, you know, it doesn't look like those might not be enough, 
the MPCA then can order an environmental impact statement, mm -hmm. which is a massive undertaking that is done at the expense of the farmer mm -hmm. or the, the plant owner or whatever mm -hmm. um, project is being uh, investigated by the MPCA. And I think a lot of people don't understand that it's not uh, state money. It's right. not taxpayer dollars paying for these studies. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of comments about wasting taxpayer dollars on these studies mm -hmm. um, that were paid for by the by the daily farms. Yeah, um, it's, it people. is really a complicated process. I and mean, I've yeah. heard estimates for an EIS of $2 million. Wow. Um, now, Ben Daly, whose family runs the, the farm, has said if they're required to do an EIS, that's the end of any plans for expansion. They're, right. they're not going to go there. Right, $2 million. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they, they make substantially more than that. They make a tremendous amount of money in uh, Winona County. And they're a huge source of tax dollars in the county. But when it comes, when it comes down to it, um, even if the MPCA grants the approval and gives them the permit they need and they don't require an EIS, which I, I think is what uh, Ben Daly would really like to see and what opposition um, leaders don't want to see, um, they still face issues at the county. Right now, it is illegal for them to uh, expand under county ordinance. Um, the county says that um, feedlots can't exceed 1,500 animal units. Well, they're mm -hmm. already far in excess of that. Um, and they've been allowed to be in excess of that because when that rule was in place, they already had more animals than Right, they were grandfathered in. Yeah. So whether or not they're going to be able to get an exception to the rule right. and whether or not they're going to be able to convince the Board of Adjustments and the County Board that their case is unique, um, that's the real question that comes next. Right. So there's a number of obstacles. The first obstacle is the MPCA for them to be granted this expansion. The next obstacle obstacle is um, the Winona County Board and the um, other one. Board. The Board of Adjustment. Board of Adjustment. County Board of Adjustment. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of different things that they have to get through in order to have that expansion. One thing that might not be clear to people, and it might not be clear to people who made the comment just because it is kind of a complicated process, but um, when you make a comment, when a person makes a comment, it's not necessarily a vote. It's not like... It's not like the MPCA is has to follow what the majority wants. Yeah, right? that's, that's absolutely true. Um, just because there were roughly 500-some uh, comments opposing it doesn't have any sway in the MPCA's decision. Um, they, read, they ha by law, have to read through every comment and respond to them. So they're going through every single comment. And they're looking for specific points that identify reasons that the steps that uh, they think are necessary to protect the environment aren't enough or may not be enough or so there is other, some other contributing factor that may make traditional means of uh, mitigating risk uh, not enough. It's basically a big brainstorming session. Yeah, yeah. Where they're asking people, like, is there anything that we haven't thought about when it comes to this So they're gonna situation? So they're going to read all of the comments and they're going to respond to them, but most of the comments that I saw in support and opposition repeat points that um, they've already addressed in the EAW. Right. Um, they don't really 
get down to reasons that aren't already covered mm -hmm. as to why it shouldn't be approved. There were a couple that uh, brought up legitimate uh, concerns that um, are probably going to catch the MPCA's eye, and if the, they do, the MPCA can order additional studies that would then prolong the process a little longer, but wouldn't be as, um, you know, it wouldn't kill the project necessarily. Right. Those additional studies are tip don't typically take very long, and they're just looking to look at the extent of risk and what can be done to mitigate them. And then the, anything that they the farmer is being told to do in is put into the condition of the permit. So if they're in violation of that, their permit can be revoked and they can be fined. Right. But I think there's I, I think there's also fear that um, you know if they're not careful, then um, you know the the water table could be irre irre irrevocable. Uh, irrevocable. Irrevocably. Irre <laughs> what Maddie said. Uh, <laughs> damage. <laughs> My tongue stopped working. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not like these things are easy to clean up. Right. When things don't go right. And so it's why the MPCA's involvement in these things is always, um, you know, a very public and present thing in when you're talking about big expansions like this. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if this is allowed to go forward, the Daily Farm would be like one of 13 or 14 of the largest uh, feedlots in the state. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's not small, but it's also not a corporate-run, you know, conglomerate where... Right. So, th this is a weird case and not one that, you know, is... Uh, laid out as as much black and white as you might have seen in other cases throughout the state over the last couple of years. All right, thanks for joining us for episode 15 of What's Up Winona, the podcast. Um, and you can find What's Up Winona on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify, on Radio Public, which I just learned what that is. Um, <laughs> and basically anywhere that you get your podcasts. Um, and also don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And make sure that you can read all things that we're writing all the time at WinonaDailyNews.com. So thanks and have a wonderful weekend.